You're listening to What the History, a podcast where two nerds talk about some awesome, crazy, random stuff you probably don't remember learning about, but you're going to now. Hey, nerds. Welcome back to another episode of What the History. This is Casey and Sarah uh, talking to you today about something that seems to be, for me, almost a little bit like more than I could handle. Mostly because I did not realize how much I don't fully understand American government. So I feel like before I even say anything, I just want to like clarify that I teach world history and that's pretty much the only thing that I'm like teaching. So I really don't get into like American history and I don't really get into like government and politics. And so when we kind of talked about this idea, I was sort of like low key freaking out because I was like, oh shit, like everyone's going to know that I'm a fraud. Um, (laughs) So my imposter syndrome. Well, I mean, I felt like I literally, as I was rereading some of this stuff, I was like, oh, I I do remember this, but again, I don't teach it. So right. Like it's not right fresh in my head, but uh, Sarah and I decided that this week we're going to talk to you about the history of the Electoral College. So, Ooh. yay. Um, there's a lot of things that are involved in the Electoral College. And we figured that since we are in an election year. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going to start sobbing. Um since we're in an election year, it might be really good for us to hopefully explain what the hell the Electoral College is and does. So Sarah's going to give us a like a nice overview of like how the hell it works. And then we'll talk a little bit about its history and some criticism. And we'll hopefully have fun doing it. Yeah. <laughs> so we'll see what happens. So I'm going to l- give it over to Sarah. She's going to give us a really beautiful and profound explanation oh, of yes. what the Electoral College is and how it works. It's beautiful and profound. My literal heading is how this shit quote unquote works. I saw that in the drive and I was like, yes, girl. Oh, my God. <laughs> um. So clearly you can kind of tell where I'm standing at the beginning, but it's fine. You're used to that by now. Um, so basically when it comes to the presidency the constitution doesn't actually give americans the right to choose a president like in any written way all other voting so whether it's national or state well i guess there's not really much other national voting but like the senate the house Mm -hmm. local that's all a true plurality so majority wins right the constitution actually gives a group called electors the right to choose a president and essentially Mm -hmm. we choose electors and the electors choose the president so each state has a certain number of electors and that number is equal to its senators so two plus its number of representatives in the house so that can range so montana only has three electors total And California has 55 and everywhere else kind of falls somewhere within that range. Mm -hmm. So they determine that number the same way they determine the number of representatives, which is based on the census. And each state has to have at least one representative, but can't have more than one per 30,000 people. Yeah. But there's no actual like way this is determined across the board. So it's not like one representative slash elector per X people. It's determined by every state's legislative body. So the legislative body draws the districts and that determines both how many representatives there are and for where, which then leads to the number of electors. 
this is pretty easily manipulated to let one party dominate, which is basically gerrymandering. So it's a problem in general with the way districts are drawn. They tend to not make sense if you look at a map. And you can pretty clearly see, like, I live in Atlanta. And Atlanta, the city itself, has a large Black population, about half. And I used to live in District 6, which is a very comparatively white suburb of Atlanta. But if you looked at the way it was drawn, it like made this very weird shape where it also grouped in a chunk of Atlanta proper, basically Mm. so that those votes got overshadowed by the more white conservative votes of the area I lived in. I don't know if you know the answer to this, and you probably don't because it might not have anything to do with it, but do you know if this has anything to do with like redlining? Yes, I believe it's similar. Right? Like, I feel like when those things were established that probably played a part in how these districts were determined, right? Yes. Okay. okay. Yes. And they That's my guess. Yeah. They basically do the same thing still. Yeah. I also had no idea that the census was this important. I, I'm yes. not going to, again, I'm not going to lie. Like, I am not as educated on this shit as I really should be. And I, the whole time I was like, the census is incredibly important. No wonder why they're like, take, like, do the census. Yes. That is why everyone census. should do their census. It, yeah, it's very yeah. important because it determines these things for the next 10 years, so the next few elections. Right. Yep. I find it fascinating, even though the rule is you can't have more than one elector per 30,000 people, the average is one per 700,000 people. Sure. Wow. How does that work? I I don't know, and it's each state. I tried to kind of find out how they determine it, and each state was just different and secretive, and so there was no real way besides, like, some man behind a curtain drew it. So does so does that mean that there should be more electors? In theory. Um, yeah. But it's weird because that also means there would be a lot more members of the House. It's right, tied right, to okay. that. And yeah, so we'll talk it, about that too. Yeah. But so right now there are 538 total electors, which made me go, that's why it's called 538. Um, Wait, what's the, called 538? The Nate Silver <laughs> website that does election predictions. And oh. has always been pretty accurate, except that one that's time so that it funny. wasn't. It's called 538, <laughs> and I hadn't put it together. So that's, there's 535 voting members of Congress. So the, the House and the Senate combined. And then Washington, D.C. was given three electors. So they don't actually have voting right. members of Congress, but they have three electors. So mm-hmm. 538. Wow. And so I right never now, realized that there was this site. I again, I really am trash. It's fine. Trash I don't know anything about the rest of the world, so it's fine. It's actually a cool site. If you're not driving, um, check out 538. <laughs> yeah. yeah, they do. Nate Silver's kind of douchey, but um, they do very good predictions <laughs> and like information. So, yeah. And so the way that works, that is a true plurality. So in order to win the election, you need 270 electoral electoral votes so electors Mm -hmm. to vote for you right so while we vote on oh what is it it's very convoluted the first tuesday after the first monday in november right which is november 3rd this year that's not when the first tuesday of november right well it's the first tuesday after the first monday so if november 1st is a tuesday it would be the following following. yes right okay got it so it's sure the electors combining math in this episode and let me tell you something i do not know anything to do with math like same at all this is worse than science for me yes like 100 percent, definitely but the electors actually cast their vote in december and those are sealed until january 6th so i'll talk a little bit about the timeline okay so basically what happens is that prior to the election 
people are chosen to become electors. The way that happens differs state to state, but there's two common ways that it's done. So it's almost always either a state party has a committee that can nominate a member, or the elector campaigns and is awarded a spot during the state party's convention. I didn't even really realize that states had conventions like that. So it's like the DNC and the RNC, but on a state level. Right. Um, Ironically, they always choose the electors by popular vote at these conventions, but okay. And basically electors are often like active party members. So they might be former politicians who have retired or just activists in the area or lobbyists or things like that who are pretty actively involved. It's kind of a popularity contest in the party. Hmm. There are technically no qualifications. So you don't have to be a certain age or have done a certain thing, but there are That's things comforting. right? There are things that disqualify you. Um, so you can't be a sitting member of Congress, you can't be right. a high-ranking US official, you can't be okay. in the immediate family of one of those. Um, okay. and you also can't be someone who has participated in insurrection against the US. So what? you can't Yeah, you can't have like sworn an oath to the U.S. and then gone back on it, basically. So if you like committed treason, almost like treasonous, (laughs) basically. So you can't be any of those things. But other than that, it can pretty much be anybody. They are elected, but they're usually picked based on party loyalty, right? So someone who is assumed that they will keep the interests of the party in mind. Did you find anything that like talks about how like, so I know you said California has 55, right? So do they have almost like an even split of like Democrat and Republican or their third party electors? Like, did you see anything about that? Because I feel like I couldn't really find anything. I couldn't really find much. And I think it somewhat correlates to the districts themselves, right? So if you had like a red house district, you'd be more likely to have a red elector there. Okay, that makes Um, sense. Is what it seems like, but I couldn't find it. It's not going to even matter anyway because. Oh, we'll talk about it. Don't worry. Yeah. None of it matters. Such a disaster. (laughs) So basically, what happens when you go in to vote for the president, it says blah, 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 Democrat, blah, 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 Republican. And you vote for that. But what you're actually voting for is that party's electors. So if I put down mm-hmm. Joe Biden, in theory, mm-hmm. I'm voting for Georgia's Democratic electors. Some states put those names on the ballot. Most don't. So you don't even mm-hmm. really see that. It's just like a behind the scenes thing. Okay. Uh, and so that's what you're technically voting for is the electors. And so on election day, you're voting for them. Um, Again, sometimes they're grouped on the ballot. Sometimes they're not. In 48 states, the way that it works is that I vote for the electors and they all represent, in theory, they all represent their party. And Mm -hmm. whichever party gets the popular vote in that state. So if in Georgia, the majority of the electors technically picked are Republican. If in New Jersey, they're Democrat, etc. There's a winner take all system. So however many electors is however many electoral votes you have. And whoever wins the popular vote in that state, all of the electors go to that party. Mm -hmm. So California, for example, has 55. If they get like 38 electors that are Democrat and 17 that are Republican, all 55 go to the Democrat. Right. There are two states where that's not true. So both Maine and Nebraska observe the congressional district method. And so in that case, each district gets an individual vote and divides them Mm -hmm. between candidates so they can be split. Okay. 
that is based on the winner of the popular vote in each district. So there's Which still some... Which I think makes more sense. Yes, it, it at least is closer. Um, You have to kind of rely on the districts being drawn well, but right. it's closer. Or like, I feel like there, and we'll probably talk about this too, but like, I feel like also trying to, like, if you just had like a certain percentage, like, let's say of the 55 electors, like, instead of getting all 55, you know... And, you know, not that I want to, like, because I'm not Republican and I've got no problem saying that. Like, I'm not, I don't want to throw Republicans a bone in California, but it's kind of like there is that sort of sense of, like, your voice being lost because you're such an overwhelming majority. So it's like, Oh, don't worry. 80% of votes in 2016 didn't actually really matter, but it's fine. Right. Right. (laughs) And that's exactly, yes, that's literally what I mean. Okay, I'm sorry. I'm, like, interjecting, but I just... No, the whole thing is stupid. I'm also, like, speculating on something that I pretty much just, like, relearned in the last, like, four days. Right. So (laughs) I'm not, like, a scholar on this by any means. (laughs) Yeah. So the way that then works is most of the time, electors cast their vote for the candidate who's received the most votes or affiliated Mm -hmm. with their party. It's kind of an honor system. Mm-hmm. Or has been historically. So there have been times in the past when electors vote contrary to the people's decision. That's right. something known as a faithless elector. Mm-hmm. Um, and constitutionally, that is allowed. The electors are not bound to follow the vote. So there's a couple right. like a couple fun examples. And usually in the fun examples, it is just a racist. <laughs> like in 1837... Some a few electors from Virginia refused to to seat the vice president elect because they were offended that he had a mixed race wife. Oh, so that was okay. fun. In 1948, an elector from Tennessee cast his ballot for a segregationist third party candidate, mm-hmm. and that happened again in 1968. So they were like, "No, we want mm-hmm. this segregationist." In 2000, yeah, so for people who say that our system is not built off of systemic racism, yep. Literally don't know anything about our history because it is... I mean, you said 1968. Or no, 68, yep. Yeah, so that's literally 52 years ago. Oh, yeah, our parents were alive, like, it's fine. Right. Mm -hmm. Well, actually, Um, no, my parents were born in 1969. Sorry, mom and dad. But my mom doesn't listen. Sorry, dad. My parents were My dad does listen. Shout out to my dad. I'm really sorry that I said nobody in my family listens on the Marie Curie episode. but He might not after (laughs) this. I know. (laughs) Hi, Dad. Love you, Dad. (laughs) Um, And then my, the like kind of bizarre one that always goes around is in 2004. So there was an elector from Minnesota who was supposed to vote for John Kerry because John Kerry Mm -hmm. won that state's popular vote. Um, But instead cast their ballot for John Edwards, who is his vice presidential candidate. They also spelled Edwards incorrectly. Does that matter? Um, no. I mean, it matters that they but, said John I mean, Edwards. It, it doesn't matter that they spelled it incorrectly. Okay. I meant like, like, Ed, like they spelled it with like an erd, like Edwards. They forgot like a D. Like, it was like so this random dude in like Michigan or Minnesota is like, oh shit, I just got a, an electoral vote for vice presidency, right. like, but it's not him. It's a different one. Yeah. I don't know if the spelling would have mattered had he voted for like John Kerry and spelled it incorrectly, if they would have still given right. him that. But because right. it was John Edwards, it was basically a wasted electoral vote. Because okay. you're still bound to... They weren't like, oh, he met John Kerry. They were like, no, he met John Edwards. That's one for John right. Edwards. But he couldn't even spell it. Yeah. <laughs> oh um, but the votes are cast anonymously. And so 
we don't actually know if he was mistaken or if he really loved John Edwards or what the case was. Mm-hmm. No one could go back and ask him. Um, so those are just a few examples. But basically, constitutionally, you are not bound to follow whatever your state's version is. So if you're supposed to vote with your district or with the state or whatever the case is, the Constitution doesn't require that. However, mm-hmm. at least somewhere like two dozen states, I think maybe 29 at this point, states have created laws to enforce your pledge. So yeah, I was some, just going to say, because I remember yeah. they literally just had a Supreme Court decision about this. Oh, yeah. This year. Yep. And Mm -hmm. so some states require you to vote with your party. Some states require you to vote with the popular vote in different areas, right? So kind of depending on the way the state works. But they do even, like, assess a misdemeanor charge or a small fine. um, Mm -hmm. Or even, like, North Carolina charges a $10,000 fine if you are a faithless elector. Wow. Um, It's kind of contested. Like, a lot of scholars think that these aren't constitutional to have these laws because the constitution allows for faithless electors. No one has ever actually been punished for being a faithless elector. So there's been 158 in history. No one's ever actually gotten like in real trouble. They just just could in theory. And it has, like you said, there's been some recent um, Supreme court cases that tend to lean towards the idea that this is allowed They kind of have set Mm -hmm. a precedent that that's probably what would happen, but it's never been directly challenged in the Supreme Court. Right. And it's like, and I'll talk about this in my segment too, but it's sort of like this finding the balance between state right and like states rights and like federal rights. Exactly. You know? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so, like I said, to win the election, you have to receive 270 of the votes. So Mm -hmm. you can't just have a majority. You have to hit 270. Right. If there's a case where no candidate hits 270, Mm -hmm. the decision gets thrown to the House of Representatives. So the House would then cast a majority vote for the president based Mm -hmm. on the three candidates with the most electoral votes. Right. And the Senate would then do the same thing for the vice presidential candidates, which I thought was really interesting. Mm -hmm. Could you split it? Could you have... So you could have like... I'll just say, like, Biden-Pence. Like, in you could theory. have that yeah. in theory. Okay. Yeah, that's... Wow. From what I read, that's what it sounds, sounds like. like a fucking disaster. Right? It, I don't know if that would be more fun or Trump-Kamala. Oh, uh, my God. I didn't... I honestly didn't even want to think I mean, about that, but well, actually, that's that incredible, ha- too. Like, in theory, if this happened this year, the House is Democrat-led. Um, and the Senate is Republican. But what I also read briefly, and I didn't look too far into this, but I did see a thing that said this used to be the sitting Congress would make those votes. But okay. it's, I believe, been changed so that the newly elected Congress would make those votes. Oh. So right now we have a Democratic House and a Republican Senate, but depending on the outcome of the election, that could flip or one could flip or something like that. Oh, wow. Right. Okay. Okay. Um, Damn, this is so complex. And what's stupid. crazy is, like, I feel like it never. You know what it is, and I, I'll, you know what I'll wait. I'll wait till my segment because there's okay. so much I feel like to say. So I'm just gonna shut up. Okay. <laughs> so in history, there have been five cases where a candidate won the election even though they lost the popular vote. Hmm. Um. So in 1824, John Quincy Adams, uh, who was the second President Adams. He received about 38,000 votes less than Andrew Jackson, 
but neither of them won the majority of the electoral college. Mm-hmm. And so it was thrown to the House, and the House elected Adams. Yeah, I'll actually talk about that one, too. When okay, it comes cool. to the three-fifths compromise. Cool, cool. Then in 1876, Rutherford B. Hayes, um, he had a one-vote margin in the Electoral College, even though he lost the popular vote. Mm-hmm. So basically, he carried a bunch of the small states, and it ended up with him having this this one margin. Um, Colorado was the deciding fact- factor there, because what happened was that Colorado had just been admitted to the Union and decided to appoint electors. And so... okay. They didn't have an actual election. There was no popular vote in Colorado, but they, they just, had appointed like, electors. electors. Okay. Exactly. So he won the three electoral votes from Colorado with zero popular votes. Oh, wow. Right? That's interesting. Yeah. Then, let's see, in 1888, Harrison lost the popular vote to Grover Cleveland, but he won the electoral vote. Was that the uh, guy that died from the cold or pneumonia? I don't know. There was that guy that, like, didn't wear a freaking jacket to his damn inauguration. Inauguration, died. yeah. Let's see. President. <laughs> I should know this. I know all the presidents, yeah. though. If you asked me to recite them all, I could. But I couldn't so, tell you if he's the so one. So that died. was a different Harrison. Okay, that's... Okay. That's William Harrison, and this was Benjamin Harrison. Got it. My um, bad, everyone. <laughs> it's fine. It's fine. Um, it's all So many same. people have turned this off. They're like, F this. I'm out. Yeah. <laughs> And so this is one case where people say the Electoral College did what it was, like, supposed to do. Because the South overwhelmingly supported Cleveland, and he won, like, by a ton in the South, but Mm -hmm. lost in the rest of the country. And in theory, the Electoral College helps, like, prevent one region from overwhelming the rest of the country, which I will, again, get to. Um, (laughs) And then more recently, in 2000, good old Al Gore... Um, Mm -hmm. very narrowly beat George Bush in the popular vote, but Florida is a shit show. I'm from Florida, so I can say whatever I want. Um, (laughs) so they basically had to do a manual recount because of the hanging chads that were like ineffectively punched through. Mm -hmm. So they had to do a manual recount and use judgment because the machine couldn't count them. And Bush was awarded the state of Florida by the Supreme Court, which gave him 271 electoral votes. And then the Iraq war happened. Mm -hmm. Um, By happened, I mean is happening. Yeah. And then in um, 2016, Hillary Clinton won the popular vote by almost 3 million, which is the largest margin a presidential loser has ever won by. Um, But Trump won 306 electoral votes. He won all the Great Lakes states. He ran a lot of the battleground states. Yeah. By less than one percentage point in most places. Um, wow. And so she had bigger leads in larger states, but it didn't matter because he had small leads in more states. Mm-hmm. Um, so those are the the five cases. Two of those were in the last five elections, just as a fun fact. Hmm. Just interesting. You know, as a thought. Um, and so basically that's how it works. So I have a quick timeline. So there's election day, which is the first Tuesday after the first Monday in November. November 3rd, go vote. November 3rd, go vote. Um, Yeah, the election ends November 3rd, but (laughs) is how we're going to say it. And so on that day, the electors are appointed. So they've already been kind of chosen by the party. 
but which ones will be voting or appointed, right? So if Biden wins the state, the Democrat ones are appointed. If Trump wins the state, the Republican ones are appointed. Um, And this is where usually from this information, if we know that, we can guess the outcome of the election, right? Mm -hmm. It's not final in theory. If there was a large number of faithless electors, it could switch what we think the result is. That has never happened, but it could. And then on, so this year it will be December 8th. So it's six days before the official vote. The electoral colleges meet in each state in something known as like the safe harbor deadline. So they have to certify their results in advance of the official vote. Right. So that if there's any potential disputes over the state or anything like that, they can get worked out in this period of time. Okay. That can come into play during like court challenges. So it could be a factor this year, too, if there was a serious dispute. It came up a lot during the Florida election in 2000 so this is six days before the official vote then the official vote is oh it's another one where'd it go it's another one of those stupid things that's like the first something after the second something in december (laughs) um so it's december 14th this year but i think it's like the first wednesday after the second tuesday or something votes will be cast And they get sent out to like six different people. So every state and D.C. meets independently and they certify their results and they send it in a letter to Congress, to this whoever is in charge of the state election, usually the secretary of state and a a number of other parties. So they have to send out six of the same thing. And those are sealed until January 6th. On January 6th, the Congress convenes, the Senate convenes, and they count and finalize the votes. So this is another place where, in theory, the Senate could object to the vote count and cause mm-hmm. some shit, right? They could be like, no, yeah. that's wrong, whatever. Not typical. But is it the new Senate or is it the current Senate? I believe the new Senate. Okay. From what I could deduce, the new Senate. Right. And then once that happens, January 20th is inauguration. So this is part of why there's such a big gap between the election and inauguration is this process is all happening. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of kind of the timeline and the overview of how it works. I mean, essentially, you're picking somebody to vote on your behalf down party lines mm-hmm. is the very short version of it. Yeah. Um, and we are sometimes assuming they will do that. In Georgia, uh, faithless electors are allowed, for example. So I'm just assuming they're going to do what I want. And sometimes they are bound in some way to actually vote down party lines. Right. Right. So that is the Electoral College. Simple. So (laughs) if you're wondering how the hell we got there, you can thank our good old founding fathers at the Constitutional Convention. Um, And every time I read Constitutional Convention, all I kept hearing was Lin-Manuel Miranda going, I was chosen for the Constitutional Convention. So like, you can imagine how fun the last few days for me have been. Um, I also do want to have a quick shout out to my colleagues, Katie and Patty, who sent me some really bomb ass readings on the Electoral College because I pretty much went to them with my tail between my legs like, oh, yes, I'm looking for some reading and material for a podcast episode I'm doing. And so shout out to you ladies. You guys are the best. So so like I said, the Constitutional Convention was the basically the 
government that started to form after the Articles of Confederation were pretty much trashed. Um, So in 1787, they established something called the Virginia Plan, which was this basis for discussion. And the Virginia Plan was a proposal that was drafted by James Madison to the U.S. Constitutional Convention in order to create a national government that had three branches and a bicameral legislator a.k.a. two different bodies, House of Representatives and the Senate, which, Sarah, you said earlier. So basically, the plan set forth the idea of having a population-weighted representation in the proposed national legislator on top of having, like, a non-population-based, like, governing body. Right. So... The reason why was because this plan favored the interests of states with large populations. And so in response, the New Jersey plan was established to also protect smaller state interests. So basically, this Virginia plan also called for Congress to elect the president and delegates from a majority of states. And like most of them agreed to this model of election because they figured that if you're making legislative decisions based partially on population and partially on just like representation, you should be doing the same thing for your leader, basically, um, which I guess makes sense. Um, yeah. And I actually, because I watched a lot of videos on this too, because I think for stuff like this, I just learned better watching videos and like listening to people explain it. But one historian guy person was like, considering like how long America has been around, this is like, as of right now, the most continuous like transition and transfer of power for pretty much any any country in the world like ever can i knock on wood real quick yeah i'm gonna also knock on i'm gonna this is that's me knocking on wood everybody so (laughs) so this is to say that our system right our the founding fathers at the convention knew that it was going to be really important to make sure that like power transferred properly and like you can look at the history of all of these different monarchies and there was never any type of like really good solid like this person is taking over power unless it was either you know a father to a son or Mm -hmm. you know there was very few like examples of elected officials like this yeah so that's kind of why i think that their ideas were were good for like the 1780s had they known what it would eventually become and like really dived like dived dove into the two-party system that has since been like pretty much established i think they might have thought differently but i'm digressing significantly so um let me see Okay, so um, da, 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 da. so eventually delegates started to oppose the idea of nomination by Congress after debating whether or not it would and could violate the separation of powers. So okay. they kind of had this original sense. idea. Yeah, like, should we let the people who are running Congress be the ones deciding? And they were like, well, that's not necessarily giving people the same type of, like, I know you're not separating the powers there. That's kind of a like combination of legislative and executive. Yeah. So a man named James Wilson made a motion suggesting creating electors for the purpose of choosing a president. Which, side note, is interesting considering the way we appoint the judicial branch as a combination of the executive and legislative. Yeah. And I, you know what, though? I think what's interesting, though, it, that is a really good example of how the balance of power is technically supposed to be. It's that checks yeah. and balances. Like it's sort of like a combination of all of that stuff. So 
I think that is actually really interesting. Yeah. So later on during the convention, they formed a committee to work out details like the mode of election of the president. um, And they wanted to figure out how to establish the group of electors. So basically, like you said, the breakdown of how many electors each state would get was a very long, arduous and really terrible debate. Mm -hmm. Um, It's going to basically result in the Connecticut compromise and the three fifths compromise, which I'll get to later. But basically, yeah. Um, very bad. Um, the number of electors would be determined, like you said, by the number of the representatives in Congress and would be chosen by each state in, quote, such manner as its legislator may direct, quote. So basically, the states can decide how they're choosing their electors. And again, we see this combination of federal power and state power. Right. So you're probably sitting there wondering, what the hell am I doing listening to this? And the second thought you're probably wondering is... <laughs> why did they establish it like this like why couldn't you just be like okay well we're forming a democracy in which case people have the right to choose their leadership and their government so why didn't you just do a popular vote to begin with so there's a few reasons i found for this first off america was a brand new country um pretty much everybody was expecting america to fail they didn't you know think it was going to work out um can you win a bet posthumously well, you know, it's funny you say that because I was literally just about to be like, if they had only given it 200 and something years, <laughs> they would yeah. then be like, mm, I knew this was going to happen eventually. So, which, you know, to be to be fair too, like, we have had relatively, like that, like Guy was saying, we have had relatively not easy transitions of power, but like we haven't had that yeah. like massive change yet. And it, I feel yeah, like it could have been as a person worse. who's. Yeah, and I feel like as a person who studies history, like, that shit happens eventually. Yeah. It's just garbage that we're, like, <laughs> now living in it. And not, right. I can't, like, just be teaching about it 25 right. years from now or 100 years from now or whatever. So, basically, America is a brand new country at this time. They have dirt roads. They don't have the same type of infrastructure. And so, basically, they had to conduct a direct nationwide election And that basically seemed unimaginable. So, like, there was no way that they could be like, everyone's going to vote and then we're going to collect everyone's votes and then we're going to count them and then we're going to be like, okay, like, it just wasn't going to happen. Right. That makes sense. So, it was, and it was easier. Actually, I'm glad you went through the stages of it because to them, it was just better and more efficient to have stages of the election. So, Mm -hmm. first you do this, you vote by, you know, the second November after the first Monday or whatever the fuck. Right. And (laughs) I totally just butchered that. But basically, it was easier yeah. to be able to, it's like... the 2nd November after the first online. Monday. Right. So, 2nd November after the first Monday. <laughs> Got it. <laughs> Quickly Google's calendar. Like, uh... <laughs> so, the second reason is that states had very different requirements for voting. And that didn't just involve race. But, I mean, there really was no discussion of other races voting at the time that this was established. Right. But... It was also very much about wealth. And so this idea of a national popular vote kind of would put pressure on states to make more people eligible to vote. And Mm -hmm. that basically, I didn't interpret that any other way other than saying they weren't ready to give up slavery. Right. And so therefore they were not willing to, or they didn't feel comfortable saying, you know, we want to, give everybody the right to vote because they didn't actually want to give everybody the right to vote. Right. So that's how I kind of interpreted that. So basically once the electoral college had been decided on, there were several delegates who started to like 
openly recognized its ability to protect the election process from, quote, corruption, intrigue, and faction. So I thought that was kind of interesting, too. But and I'll talk a little bit about the Articles of Confederation or I'm sorry, not I'm sorry, the my God, the Federalist Papers. I'm literally going to die. Like there's going to be somebody who comes into my office who like bursts down in the door and is like, give me back your teacher's license. because It's Lin-Manuel Miranda. Oh my God, it's Lin. Honestly, I'd be like, dude, you can have it. You, you yeah. want my? You can take it. It's fine. Um. So on September 6, seventeen eighty seven, the convention approved the committee's electoral college proposal. There were some minor modifications. So states like Connecticut, New Jersey, and Maryland favored the electoral college because it seemed to protect their interests because they were smaller in terms of land area or yep. population size. What's interesting now is even though New Jersey is small, we do have a very large population. We're mm-hmm. overcrowded. So, like I said, it was discussed in the Federalist Papers, and we have two major people who kind of explain their views, and they share their information on it. So, the first was James Madison. So, Madison essentially says in the Federalist number 39 um, that the Constitution is designed to be a mix of both state-based and population-based government. So, kind of what I was saying earlier. So, having the electoral votes or the electors vote would allow, like, Congress to have the two, you know, Congress have the two houses and also having the president be elected by a various group of people. Alexander Hamilton wrote in Federalist paper number 68 that he believed the advantage to the Electoral College or the electors, because actually I'll get to the Electoral College thing in a second. Um, He basically said the electors came directly from the people and only the people and that they only existed for that short time. So they weren't like these long-term people who could like sit and use their power. So to him, he believed that there wouldn't be a party run legislator or a quote permanent body that could be influenced by foreign interests before each election quote. Uh Uh-huh. So I wrote big fat LOL to that (laughs) because like (sighs) deep breath. And then he goes on to argue that electors meeting in the state capitals were able to have more information um, that was not available to the general public. And since there was no federal office holder um, that could be an elector, none of the electors would be beholden to yeah. any presidential candidate. Also, again, big fat LOL, because like you have people who are like faithless electors who are like, no, I'm sticking right. to my party and whatever else. So This is a man who has never seen Twitter. Yeah. I honestly... I wonder, I always wonder this, like, if the founding fathers came back for, like, a week, what would they do? I mean... I think they'd probably be like, I think I'd like to die again, because, I feel like, like they would mostly go to Pornhub. Oh, 100%. 100%. (laughs) I'm literally gonna throw up. Oh, my God. There's so much available on the internet. I don't, I think they would have to process that before they could do anything else. Yeah. So, you know what? We'll give them a, we'll give them a month, right? Maybe a week is too short of a time. Yeah. They can have have a week week on Pornhub. Yeah. A week on Pornhub, a week on Wikipedia. And then. (laughs) (laughs) But like, if they, (laughs) but if they like looked at where they are, right? If they just like watch cnn and fox like back to back right i wonder if they would be like wow this is not what we envisioned or like right. even worse washington rolling up and he's like did i or did i not tell you fuckers right that was parties I, would kill this country was i not clear 
how could I not have been more clear? Like, I don't understand. (laughs) So, you know, basically going on to say that the idea of the electors would basically allow more representation for the American people, but also not rely on them too much because they kind of couldn't totally be trusted. Mm -hmm. And so he also was very concerned about somebody who was unqualified, but had a talent for quote, low intrigue and the little arts of popularity quote, attaining high office. (laughs) So at that point, my entire body started shaking. Uh (laughs) So he just wanted to basically say that the electors should be able to determine based on someone's character that someone was qualified to be the president of the United States. I want to be an elector. You know, me too. Cause if that's the kind of shit, I got some stuff to say, you know, if I'm, if that's what my job is, I right? sit down, you know what I mean? I'll just play this episode because <laughs> I'm in Georgia. <laughs> I can do whatever much- I want. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I think in New Jersey, you actually can't. I think there is a fine. Yeah. We could fundraise for it. Yeah. It, actually, you know what? I probably, we could do like a GoFundMe. Yeah. I mean, but also New Jersey's going to be fine. Faithless electors. Yeah. New Jersey is fine. Yeah. It's like the swing states, the battleground states that are like anxiety inducing. Uh Um, So one fun fact I found, if we can call it that, because if any of this is fun, I don't actually know, (laughs) is that um, even though the Constitution refers to these electors, there is no actual phrase that's used to describe the electors collectively collective electors if you will and i just wanted to say elective collective electors like i honestly wish that i could have i don't know like use that as some type of tongue twister when i still did theater for the high schoolers you know what i mean yeah but you know say levy so the term electoral college didn't even get started um didn't even start getting used blah until the early 19th century and the phrase was first written into federal law in 1845 and is now in the it said three usc ss4 so i want to say that's like article three of the u.s constitution Constitution. subsection four i think so so it had that little like s on top of an s and it kind of looked like a death mark what is that fucking thing called oh the dark mark dark mark yeah yeah, it looked kind of like a dark mark. I was like, mm, I think Fair. that means subsection, but I'm not sure. Okay, so I'm about to get into some stuff that's um, pretty trash. I'm going to be honest with everyone. We're going to talk about the three-fifths compromise. So I just want to say as a quick disclaimer that I've been doing an extensive amount of reading and research on this, especially because I do have an entire unit for my students in a few weeks about the sl- uh, the slave trade. Or the African slave trade or the enslaved Africans. So that's where I'm about to go right now. So basically, y'all are going to hear me use this term called enslaved African-American. And I want to clarify why I'm saying that. Because at this point, the men and women and children who are enslaved in the United States, I would say a very large percentage of them since the slave trade is starting to dwindle, are American citizens. Not necessarily citizens, but they are American by birth. They right, are descended from people. Exactly. So they are descended from people who were ripped from their homes and brought over into forced servitude. So <laughs> you will hear me say enslaved Americans or enslaved African Americans or enslaved Black Americans. And if you got a problem with it, literally turn this off and don't talk to me. Like, I don't really give a shit. <sighs> 
So with that being said, there were some delegates, including James Wilson and James Madison, who preferred the idea of a popular election. But like we said, a popular vote would be difficult to do. But there was also this really big problem of getting a consensus on the idea of how you count population. Okay, so basically, the popular vote would be ideal but difficult to get consensus because of the prevalence of slavery in the South, which had a larger population only if enslaved African Americans were included on the population count. So I did more research on this because, again, it's been a hot minute since I really did any research on the three-fifths compromise specifically. Mm -hmm. So this was an issue that the convention fought over, really debated over, um, in the Connecticut compromise or called the great compromise where they basically said, you know, this is what we're, that was basically how they established this Congress of representation and also the Senate. Okay. So here's the issue. Okay. So the number of people in each state, AKA the population was important for two reasons. First off, it determined how much in taxes would be paid. So the larger the population, the more paid in taxes, which is bad, quote unquote. Mm-hmm. depends on where your tax money is going second but it was what they were trying to avoid correct because they had just fought a whole war about like taxing tea and shit right so the second reason was good if you had more people you had more representation in government cool, cool. great but this is not great for southern states because they were still enslaving americans so There's this battle between the northern and southern states. This actually no longer has anything to do with the size of the state. It was 100% northern and southern states. Mm -hmm. Because northern states were already starting to eradicate um, slavery as a practice. Um, That doesn't necessarily mean that they were null and void of any racist or white supremacist ideologies. But they weren't necessarily keeping up with the... I don't even know if I should call it an institution. But the the economic practice of enslaving people. Okay. That's basically how the Southerners presented it. So the Southern states wanted their enslaved African-American population to be counted towards representation because they had people who were enslaved in the millions Mm -hmm. and that would give them more power and more control, but they didn't want enslaved African-Americans to actually count as people. Right. Because then they would have to one admit that they were like, owning people and two they had to basically pay more in taxes because their population would have been bigger okay so i mean not okay but i understand the sentence right yes so (laughs) sentence is clear yes so the solution is in an extremely especially disgusting feat of racism and white supremacy the founding fathers decided the best thing that they could do would be the three-fifths compromise which means that for every five enslaved americans the state would get three people added to their population count cool fucking ew so they're three-fifths of a person correct okay so basically (laughs) that three-fifths rule was then applied to the process of not just Um, Congress and legislation, but also the Electoral College. And so this resulted, believe it or not, in three different counterfactual losses between 1792 and 1860. So the first was in 1796, when the enslaver southern states gave up two-fifths of their enslaved people population in federal uh, apportionment which basically gave a majority of victory to John Adams over Thomas Jefferson. So because they lost quote unquote, two fifths of people 
in terms of voting, mm-hmm. Adams got the win over Jefferson. Okay. Four years later, in the election of 1800, historians the of actually, 1800. I know. I was like, doo doo. <laughs> I'm like, like hearing that like little sound. Yep. You know what I mean? Um, I'm probably gonna go listen to this after. Yeah. Um, so then in 1800, historians argued uh, that Jefferson's victory over Adams and technically, um, what's his face? Burr. Oh, shit. Burr. Mm-hmm. So, like, because there were full, all three of them were running. Right. Um, and, but it was mostly really between Burr and, and Jefferson. But mm-hmm. for Jefferson's victory over them was due to the bonus count of the enslaved Americans in the Electoral College numbers. Ah, uh, yes. Because bonus technically... Slaves. Right. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Um, And then finally, Andrew Jackson, who won in 1828, this was his second campaign running and he had lost previously, like you had said to John Quincy Adams. Mm -hmm. But um, he also would have lost if the count in the Electoral College were by citizen only apportionment because he actually benefited from the three fifths clause by providing like this margin of victory. So a lot of legal scholars argued that the three fifths compromise was extremely important in the effort of defending and preserving slavery. But then other scholars say the opposite, which I thought was weird. What I did see that was unanimous though, is that this is going to be a continuous issue. And this is just the beginning of the conflicts between the Northern and Southern states. And so like people basically say that like, if this shit had been dealt with at the constitutional convention, as opposed to like pushing it off for decades and decades, the civil war wouldn't have happened when it did. Mm-hmm. Um, but this conflict was sort of pretty much inevitable because of this really significant difference in ideology slash economic necessity. Yeah. So that is the history slash progression of like why the electoral college was founded and established the way that it is. Um, But as I'm sure that you can (laughs) tell, there's some problemas with it. So I know you have some issues and criticisms. So let's, uh, let's hear them. I attempted to do a nice, like here's the arguments for it and against it. Most of the arguments for it are old, slavery ones but mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. and then the other problem is most of the arguments for it you can make essentially the exact same argument against it mm-hmm. um so i'm actually going to start with the pros and then i'll kind of debunk them as we go cool I like so that. the people who like it the general defense is literally just it usually works statistically oh, yeah. throughout time almost always the Electoral College matches the popular vote without a problem. Mm-hmm. That's honestly most of the answer. They're just like, but it's it's usually fine. It's um, like one of those things where it's like, um, if it ain't broke, don't fix it kind of thing. Yeah, basically. And then part of the idea here is what is called the quote unquote federal character of the nation. And what they mean by that is we're a nation made up of states and that the states are somehow representative of all the people in them and therefore it is the states as an institution that should be represented as opposed to the people i personally think that's um silly and then the problem so part of the idea here is that each state is treated as the the representative party as opposed to people right but it leads to a really uneven distribution of resources 
essentially. So because of the winner-take-all system, some states are always going to go a certain way, right? So there's no chance California is going to go red, and there's no chance Alabama is going to go blue this election. Right, right. And so a couple things happen. Candidates basically don't spend any time or money there, right? So if you think about California, why is Joe Biden going to go to California and spend money or run ads when he's going to win California? Mm-hmm. He, he's guaranteed all 55 of those votes. And right. why would Donald Trump spend money there when there's no way he's going to get those 55 votes? And so part of the idea was that small states would be ignored with a true popular vote, right? Because California has so many more people. So I would want to appeal to that number of people as opposed to the population of Montana. Right. But what you've got is kind of the reverse. I now ignore those large states with large urban centers and high populations in favor of a random collection of states that we call the swing state. So I spend all my money in Ohio and Pennsylvania and Florida and don't ever go to New York or California. Which to me seems dangerous and frustrating because it's like, well, then you have five states who are determining what the fuck the election is. like. That's the problem that I have. That's, but that again, that's yes. in my layman's terms. Like I again don't know what the fuck I'm talking about. So no, that's accurate. It also yeah. leads to low voter turnout. So states mm-hmm. that are very consistently one way or the other, people that don't agree with that often just don't vote because they feel like it doesn't matter. And right. people that do agree with that may be less compelled to vote because they feel right. like it doesn't matter. So again, I'm just going to keep using California. If I'm a Republican in California, what does my vote for president matter? The elector, mm-hmm. the electors are going to go the other way. And if right. I'm a Democrat and I'm like, well, maybe I'll vote, maybe I won't. It's going to be fine. So I'm not worried about yeah, it. Yeah, either way, because you have millions of other people who are going to vote the way that you would have voted and you're going to get that electoral vote anyway. Exactly. And then... Yeah. It means that the individual votes don't count. So again, I'm not going to campaign for those Republicans in California to go vote because I don't Mm -hmm. get benefit from that anyway. So essentially, if you live in a state that's not one of these like battleground swing states, your vote doesn't, it doesn't not count entirely if you agree with the main party, Mm -hmm. but your vote is, is not really a, a part of the election. We could essentially narrow the electoral college down to like 80 electoral college votes and determine the election based off that. Right. Um, And so I saw a thing in 2016, it was like about 80% of votes cast in the U S had no bearing on the election. Mm -hmm. Um, It also favors smaller States. So today a vote in Wyoming, which is the, like the, this is the biggest contrast that exists is that a vote in Wyoming counts four times as much as a vote in Texas. This involved a lot of math, um, but essentially it's that... When <laughs> Did you, you do the math? No, I read the math and then I narrowed it down <laughs> to one sentence. <laughs> That's the way it's done. <laughs> yeah, which is... The gist is that it has to do with how many people each elector represents. So in Texas, an elector represents an average of like 700,000 people. And in Wyoming, Mm. an elector represents an average of 100,000 and something. Right. And so even though there's more electors in Texas, it doesn't actually balance out. So when you extrapolate it out to the entire population of the U.S., 
one electoral vote in Wyoming counts four times as much as an electoral vote in Texas. Mm. And that's true. Through That's the largest discrepancy, but it's true throughout a lot of different states. So the smaller states tend to be heavier weighted. So while part of the idea was that without the electoral college, small states would be ignored because you would want to get the large populations of like California, Mm -hmm. New York, Florida, what has happened is sort of the reverse in that large states are ignored in favor of Mm -hmm. these small states and it gives them kind of more power. Right. Again, the argument for it there is an idea of regional balance. So you, they don't want all of the South to overpower the North because of population or something like that. I was going to say that was another thing that they, that I, they talked about when the stuff that I was reading and watching and that like, they didn't want it to be, like a sectional kind of or regional like part right. of the United States determining the election for, you know, the rest of it. Right. Yeah. And it is if we went to a popular vote tomorrow, the coastal cities, right, New York, California, Florida, lar- Texas, large states and cities would have more sway. Right. I would argue that makes more sense because there's more people, but that's just But me. they already have a large sway. It's just, yes. it's, it's to me, like, yes. I guess it's like, you think about that. What you said that in 2016, Trump won by like a one percentage yeah. vote, which then guarantees like all of those yeah. electoral votes. Like in my head, I think that I guess you should be able to split the elector vote. Yeah. Based if on you're going to keep wins. electors based on like, it should be based on district. You would think at least. Right. Yeah. But I agree. Because then at least you're kind of getting a little bit more of the people's vote. Yeah, but it's the winner takes all portion that really causes a lot of this. Correct. Is that the popular vote of your state determines all of your electoral votes. And that's only something that the state can do. Exactly. The federal government can't step in and be like, no, no, you can't do it this way. Yep. Right. Mm -hmm. Yep. Um, So other cons we've sort of talked about, you can win the popular vote but lose, or you can, yeah, win win the popular vote. But lose the electoral college. Mm -hmm. So not be elected president, which is to me pretty clearly like against, I would say against the will of the people, but the electoral college isn't actually that. So who even knows? Right. Um, This is the will of the state. Yeah, exactly. It's like we treat the states as if they're sentient things Mm -hmm. and not just like a border someone drew. Yeah. There's also, so I talked about this before that if the electoral college doesn't have a clear winner, the presidential vote is deferred to the House of Representatives and the vice presidential mm-hmm. votes deferred to the Senate, which could lead to a split and like a very mm-hmm. weird president VP combination. Yeah. Um, this is also basically why only two parties are viable at a time. So this is not- making me think of Hamilton when he's like, John Adams doesn't have a have real, a real job, job anyway. anyway. Yep. <laughs> That's what I keep hearing in my head. I'm sorry yep. to interrupt. I just no, keep hearing great. that play over and over. Oh, so we know more than Hamilton, I swear, but not really. <laughs> um, not really. Um, but it's basically why we have two viable parties at this time. Like, so if you're one of those people that wants to be like, I'm going to vote for a libertarian because we should have three parties. Sure. We should have more than two parties down for that. It's mm-hmm. essentially impossible for that to happen in in, in yeah. the electoral college. The way the winner takes yeah. all is set up is designed yeah. for there to only be two parties. Um, mm-hmm. So 
it could, in theory, switch what those parties are over time, right. which has happened. But really, a winner takes all takes all the swing votes, and the most that a third party vote can do is ensure somebody doesn't hit 270. Right, yeah. Um, and then it goes to the House and the Senate. So think about and your life and And that's something choices. that like needs to be... I mean, again, like I agree. It, there shouldn't be two parties only that have all of the control right. because if you look at like what it's become it literally nobody gives a shit about doing what is best for the country it's about what's best for the party and that's right. republicans and democrats alike like i'm not gonna excuse democrats from that too, yeah. even though i i identify as one right even though i'm registered as one like i don't i don't necessarily have a better party to join because like it's kind of like again you're choosing the lesser of two evils in the sense it's right. like, well at least this one has some type of a voice yep. but there's plenty of instances where you see the opposite parties just trying to like shoot down shit because it's from the other party yeah like and that's why it's it's frustrating to have like you look at fucking mitch mcconnell who literally said when obama became president years ago like our job is just to get him out of office in four years like what yep. like what like, how is that beneficial of the American people? And I'm sure that there are examples of Democrats doing it, too. So, like, I'm not excusing them either. But, like, it's literally not about... Honestly, no. You could even look at Biden's platform. Like, yeah. so much of it is, I'm not him. And, like, listen, dude, I agree. And that's literally right. why I'm probably going to... I'm going to vote for you. No, yes. probably I am. Yes, but, like, definitely. But, like, that's literally the problem is, right. is it's pitting each other, like, against each other. And it's like, yeah. well there's millions of people who need you to get your shit together and no one thinks logically they think along their party lines. And that's, yeah. I, and that comes really clear with the electoral college, I think. Yes. And I think if you're someone who tends to lean towards a third party or want a third party, one of the arguments I usually make is the place to start with that is not the presidency. Um, mm -hmm. And that's for a few reasons, but one of the main reasons is that the president is the only thing we use the electoral college to vote for. And it's specifically designed against that. And yeah. so you could, in theory, win a popular vote as a third party. So a Senate or a congressman or something like that. But mm -hmm. the Electoral College is not set up to do that in any way. Right. It doesn't right. really allow for it. Yeah. Um, one of the fun arguments in favor of it that I thought I would note is a lot of people consider it a more stable and unbiased way to go about it if, say, the president were to, say, die between the election and inauguration. For some reason, mm. just mm. in the hypothetical scenario that that would happen, um, mm. there are provisions. And I read a bit about this just out of my own interest of what happens if the president is incapacitated or dead um, before the actual vote versus if it was in the lame duck period, etc. Right. Um, and the electors would have the ability to like determine what to do. And so it sort of doesn't render the vote useless. Right. If Donald Trump so won the popular vote. On November 3rd and then yeah. died on November 10th, mm -hmm. they would, if it was a true popular vote, they'd have to essentially redo the election, okay. right? Versus the electors being able to push their vote somewhere else. Um, and that's not okay. necessarily so, like, representative. They can be like, right. But it because is. Because the people voted for the elector to vote for Trump, not for whoever the fuck they vote for. Exactly. But in theory, yeah. they elected they elected you to vote for Trump, but really they elected you for the party, right? So whoever right. became the Republican nominee would get those electoral votes. So, oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Now, it gets wow. weird because with this one, there would be some weird defectors where, like, they hate Trump, but they would vote for some other Republican or whatever. 
But basically, if that were to happen, the Electoral College is considered a way to make that a little bit less all over the place. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, like I said, I, I read a little bit about this. Um, but anyway, so that's one argument for it. But basically, the main argument, I once had a screaming match at work with someone about this, which is very professional, <laughs> like me. Um, and it literally just boils down to, but then some states wouldn't be represented. Okay, but states aren't people. So should we be representing states or people? Um, right. Is basically the argument. There have been, over time, um, over 700 attempts to abolish the Electoral College in some way. Yeah, I saw that. Um, And for decades, polls have shown that most Americans are not in favor of the Electoral College. Somewhere in, like, the 60% of people think that it should be a true popular vote. Some people don't... I mean, there's a good number of people that don't understand it's not a popular vote, which makes sense because this is confusing and everything else is. Yeah. Um, I mean, maybe we learn about this in in history class for like two minutes. Yeah. You know, like, and there's no real, and you also learn about it when you're like a shitty teenager and no offense to teenagers because I love all of you and I love teaching you, but like nobody knows anything as a teenager and like nobody gives a shit. Like you don't realize that you're going to have an impact and like, you know, you have have a right to have opinions. I always took it as like, okay, there's an elector who votes on behalf of a group of people. The whole like winner take all thing, I feel like, is the yeah. harder to understand part and what makes it messed yeah. up. And I that, that's the part I disagree with. That's right. exactly like if you keep the electoral college, fine, whatever. But like, how about you make it representative more of what the popular vote is as opposed to just like, oh right. well, you know, and like at- I would, I would argue for that to work. We need to like do the districting better, but it's at least a step. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, And basically, in order to ditch the Electoral College entirely, um, because it's written into the Constitution, we would have to pass a constitutional amendment, which Mm -hmm. requires two-thirds of the House, two-thirds of the Senate, and ratification by 38 states. Yeah. Or we could convene a constitutional convention, which has never been done, but 34 states would have to call for it. Right. Um, Those aren't likely because to do so, small states would basically have to approve a change that reduced their influence. Right. So you have, for example, what New Hampshire is a swing state, right? Mm -hmm. It's really small. Right now, New Hampshire gets a lot of attention during the elections and it gets their issues on the table because people are courting their votes. Right. If you move to a true popular vote, no one cares about New Hampshire. No one's going Mm -hmm. to New Hampshire. And so why would they vote for that? So it makes it hard. Um, The closest we've ever come was after the 1968 election. So Richard Nixon won by less than 1% of a margin. And the 91st Congress um, had a man named Emanuel Seller from New York. And he proposed just a straight popular vote with a 40% minimum to be considered a winner. So if nobody got 40% of the vote, you would move to a runoff. And this passed um, 339 to 70 in the House. Nixon endorsed it, and he said that the Senate should approve it. So he was a fan of it. Um, The Senate Judiciary Committee, they were like, hell yeah, let's do it. Um, And they were about 12 votes short in the Senate of what they needed to pass it, of the two-thirds. Right. 
And Nixon, he did not ever revoke his support, but he was unwilling to try and like convince the Senate Republicans. So he wouldn't go schmooze and talk to them and be like, you guys should vote for this. So he didn't help, even though he technically supported it. Yeah. And so it ended up getting filibustered and cloutured and then never brought up. Oops. My cat yeah. knocked the mic over. Um, <laughs> He's like, I don't like this. <laughs> no, but it basically never got brought up again right. um, on that particularly one. And the Republicans that wouldn't vote for it, literally their argument was, well, it's been fine before. Like, it basically doesn't happen. So yeah. why bother? Again, it's like, if it's if it's not broke, don't fix it. And also, yeah. like, this is the way it's always been done. And yeah. that's literally the most anti-progressive thing exactly. anybody can say anywhere. You don't even have to be Republican or Democrat to no, say, it's like, just a stupid anything. Thing to say. Have- exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Um, in 1977, Jimmy Carter wrote a letter to Congress that was basically like, could y'all do something about this? And they never did. He's still alive, right? He is. He's nine. He's the oldest. Yeah. He's like the oldest living president ever is what I saw. I you're going to say turned- oldest living person. I was like, no, I he's 96, too, but-, but he's the oldest living president. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Damn. and so there's I been saw him, like building shit. Oh Sorry, yeah. He's like building houses. It. Yeah. Fuck, yeah. Man, that's cool. Wild. Um, there have been a number of joint resolutions. The current main alternative is something called the National Popular Vote Interstate Compact. Yes, I actually, that was literally the only alternative to the Electoral College that I found in my research. Do you want to talk about it or you want me to? You can talk about it. I can interject if I, <laughs> okay. if I have anything. But yeah, no, that's literally where I was going to end, too, is just okay, talking cool. about the alternatives, which is, that's the only thing I found. So, yep. So the National Popular Vote Interstate Compact is a compact that states can enter saying that they pledge their votes to the winner of the national popular vote. So rather Mm -hmm. than by state, the national popular vote. Um, Currently, 15 states and Washington, D.C. are in this compact. But the Mm -hmm. way it works, it doesn't become legitimate until there's enough states in the compact to reach 270 electoral votes. So right. right now, even if every one of those 15 states in D.C. did it, we would have 196 electoral votes for whoever wins yep. the popular vote. Mm-hmm. So so it's not in place. Those states are still free to operate as normal. If yep. enough states joined that we could hit 270, they would become bound by this compact and they would all have to vote for the national popular vote win- winner. Right. And it would become null if something happened to change the number of votes. So if you needed 270 and then we admitted Puerto Rico as a state and you now needed 280 or whatever, mm-hmm. it wouldn't become active again until we had 280. So it doesn't bind them unless it can actually make a popular vote what wins the election. Do we know if the number, um, oh my God, what is it? It's five five thirty eight six five thirty eight. Do we know if 538 is the number that it will always stay at. Cause I know we talked earlier about the census. Like, do we know if that's like, what if there's like a huge population boom and you have more people and like that, those people aren't necessarily spread out. Cause I know the numbers fluctuate every 10 years. Yeah. I believe that it changes. Like, I don't think it's I mean, always it's not been change probably by that much, but yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. I don't think it changes by a ton, but it does. Well, actually, I just look. I just looked at a note that I have, and let's see because I do see something that says there's actually a maximum. 1929, the Permanent Appointment Act became law. It permanently set the maximum number of representatives at 435. 
And okay. so in okay. theory, that so would limit. It's just those numbers just might move around a little bit. Like yeah. if you don't have as many people growing in Wyoming as you do in, I don't know, South Dakota or something. South Dakota might get one more electoral vote and take it from Wyoming. Right. Okay. That's what, that's what it sounds okay, like. Okay. Um, but it is designed so that if that compact wouldn't win the election, they, they aren't bound to it. Um, I did read there's some debate, again, about if this is okay or if it's constitutional. And those same precedents from SCOTUS seem to imply that it would be. Right. Um, and actually, one of my favorite arguments I read is people that don't like this, um, that are for the Electoral College and against this compact, say that it violates a portion of the Voting Rights Act. However, mm. that portion of the Voting Rights Act is the one that the SCOTUS overturned in the last few oh, years. okay. So yeah. everyone's like, well, joke's on you because you overturned that. <laughs> right, right. Um, and so that's right now, like, probably the most viable option, unless yeah. you said you didn't really find any others. No, that was literally it. That was pretty much where I found most of the information on, like, you know, what they argue is essentially, like, a lot of people speculate, like you said, whether candidates would actually spend the time going to lower populated areas than heavily populated areas, but... Basically, what the NPV argues is that they already do. Instead, yep. they just go to the most populated areas in these divided battleground swing states. Right. And so it's like they're kind of already doing that. And so by asking them to do this, it would basically mean like they would have to be visiting more places and they would have to be interacting with more people and they would be able to get the needs of more Americans met as opposed to just the people in like Iowa or whatever it might be. Right. Yeah. I would also like to plug, this is not technically, I mean, it is and isn't an alternative to the Electoral College, but I just love ranked choice voting. Yay, ranked choice voting. <laughs> That's what we should do, just as a thought. That's it. That's we, it. That's what we're endorsing. That is what I'm endorsing. Folks. <laughs> you rank your candidates. And this way, when someone's like, I want to vote for Joe Jorgensen, they can still put Joe Biden as the second. And when Joe Jorgensen doesn't win anything, because what? Then mm -hmm. it can be mm -hmm. like, oh, well, they really meant this. I'm fine. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this is like what we did in my sorority. <laughs> right. It's like, literally. When you wanted to get a bigger little sister, like you basically yes. like, ranked the people. And then it was like, like exactly. my big Heather, she's like my best friend in the whole world. She's my maid of honor. And she put me as her number one choice for a little. And I put her as my number one choice for a big. Cute. So like really, everybody, I, we should just run the country like we run sororities. I would like to vote via MySpace top eight. Top eight. Oh my God. MySpace top eight. Thank <laughs> God that shit doesn't exist now. Kids already right? have problems with social media. Oh like my They God. think it's bad when they don't get like 600 likes. But I'm like, bitch, think about not being on someone's top eight. Yeah, or that someone that you have as number blow. one and you're there like number six. Yeah, and you're like, wow, mm. I'm really re like evaluating everything I know about our friendship. Yep. Yep, yep, yep. Anyway. Wow. Um, MySpace. We miss yeah. you. Miss you. History Come of MySpace. Come back, Tom. <laughs> <laughs> we do have to do a history of social media one day. We do. That would um, be cool. But yeah, so basically that's the Electoral College. It's stupid. Um, yes. It is how it works. And so yes. while in theory, if you live in many states, your vote probably won't sway very much of the presidential election, mm -hmm. all the other elections are popular vote based. So you should at least yeah. vote for like senator and congresspeople and all of that good stuff, because those yeah. 
do matter on an individual basis, but also while I'm you're there, go out on an even bigger limb and say, just fucking vote this oh, yes. year. While okay, you're there, just vote, vote for president. Just vote yes. because, like, you can't. Like, we don't know what's going to happen. Literally, a- anything no. could happen. Yeah. So, vote, 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 vote. Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. also, if you don't vote, then you can't complain about shit. Correct. <laughs> like, that's literally how I feel. Like, I, although I complain about pretty much every part of my life, it's also my responsibility to fix shit that I'm complaining about. Right. So that's the same thing as your country. Like, it's yes. your obligation and i know things seem really terrible and they kind of are and this is a super privileged thing for me to be saying but like go vote because like we can't do the radical shit that needs to be done until we get a better right. handle on like the base what's happening right now yeah that's like yeah uh, so snl came back last night and snl oh, is I not saw that it's not good unless there's it, an election but right. They 100%. did like a, they did a debate cold open and they have Jim Carrey to Joe Ugh. Biden just be like Biden 2020 make America not actively on fire again. Yes. And like I'm, let's just lightly put out the well, fire. Yes, like, let's start there. <laughs> let's start I have to here. watch that. I love it was Jim pretty Carrey. good. Jim I was skeptical of him as Joe Biden but he actually did a really good job. They somehow always do a phenomenal job on their presidents. Like yeah. any president I've I've seen them impersonate mm-hmm. is like dead on. It's crazy. Yeah. They do great. Like, like when what's not very good. Clinton it, last year in the yeah. debates. Holy shit. Not last year, whatever. Four last years ago. Election, time yeah. of no meeting. Um, Ten years ago, yesterday. <laughs> what decade is that? Um yes. Yeah, that's that's like what I think of sometimes. Or even oh god, I'm throwing it way back. That's how old I am. When Tina Fey did yes, um, Sarah Palin. Holy sh- Sarah Palin. Holy oh, shit. Yes. And they looked so weirdly alike that it was like Disturbing. I'll never forget. I think it was a cold open where Tina Fey was like making fun of Sarah Palin as Sarah Palin and Sarah Palin like showed up yes. behind her and I was like, "Oh wow, that's crazy. You didn't really see it until like you put them next to each other." Yeah. Um, dumpster fire yep. too. Yep, everything's right. a dumpster fire. I will end with um a saying that I like to apply to these times where we discuss civility and whether it is okay to wish bad things on people is oh a tweet God. I read years ago that said it is wrong to punch a Nazi, but it is right for Nazis to get punched. Huh. I like that. Yes. I will end on that. Thanks, <laughs> Thanks Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> All right, everybody. Go on out. Uh, punch some Nazis, I guess. Yeah. And um, vote. Make sure that you have, if you've gotten your mail-in ballots, I know New Jersey, everyone's getting them. I just got mine a day or two ago. Yep, I just got mine. Get them in. Um, a cool thing about and- Georgia is a lot of my friends are debating, like, would it be better to go in person if we don't trust the mail? And a cool mm-hmm. thing about living in Georgia is that I also don't trust my in-person vote to be counted. Yeah. So, YOLO. Yeah. You know, we picked a hell of a year to start a history podcast, man. Truly. <laughs> it was like, why not, right? How much worse could 2020 get? Yeah. <laughs> it's fine. It's uh, October 4th. Yes, it's October 4th. All right, friends. Thank you for listening. And get out there and change the motherfucking world. Yeah. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to What the History Podcast. You can find us on Instagram and Twitter at WTHistoryPod. You're also welcome to email us at whatthehistorypodcast at gmail.com with topic suggestions or questions. Please subscribe to the podcast so that upcoming episodes show up in your feed and we will talk to you soon.